Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom. Today's Gospel reading is the singular event, most scholars argue, the singular act that got Jesus in the most trouble, and in fact probably got him in so much trouble that it got him crucified. The Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, have this story immediately following Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which we will celebrate in just a few short weeks on Palm Sunday. But John places it at the beginning of his Gospel as one of a pair of signs. The first one being the sign of changing water into wine at the wedding in Cana, which incidentally has very little, it seems, to do with the wedding and much more about what's going on in the kitchen. But uh, I digress just a little bit, except to say we all know that the real action always happens in the kitchen. And it normally involves our mothers. And indeed, that was true for Jesus. He has a dialogue with his mother in the kitchen. That's in Galilee, and immediately John has him in Jerusalem with today's story, confronting the central religious action of his people in that time. The temple was the middle of everything in the Roman province of Judea. And what that meant was it was not only the heart of religious practice, it was the heart of the economic engine that kept the elites in Jerusalem placated and kept the tribute flowing to Rome. Which meant that when Jesus goes into the court of Gen the Gentiles, the outer court of the temple, and overturns the tables of the money changers and drives out the animals. He is not just confronting religious corruption of his day, he is confronting the peace that Rome has wrought in Judea. It is a big recipe for trouble. Make no mistake. Now John will then spend the rest of the Gospel playing out the confrontation between Jesus and the chief priests the leaders of the religious establishment, and a little bit later on, of course, he will be confronted by Pilate, the Roman governor. But what is Jesus really doing, other than just being your ordinary rabble-rouser? Jesus is confronting idolatry. And we often think of idolatry as something very quaint and antique, the making of idols and bowing down and worshiping them. But in fact, idolatry has been and still remains very much with us, a part of our walk and our religious life. And lest we think otherwise, Jesus is confronting religious corruption that is still very much with us. We only have to look at Christian history briefly to see that this was not just a problem for the first century temple in Jerusalem, but the money changers and people willing to make a profit off people's piety has been a part of the picture since organized religion began. 
we remember kings who exploited the piety of the people in launching crusades. We remember the corruption that went on in the medieval church and the sale of indulgences so that St. Peter's Basilica could be rebuilt. We remember Henry VIII who went and pillaged the religious houses of Northern England so that he could refund his coffers and go to war on behalf of the English people. And lest we forget, just yesterday I was at a meeting getting ready for general convention this summer. We met over in Livermore with deputies from all over Northern California. And the most heat in the room happened when we started to talk about the triennial budget of the Episcopal Church. What if, what if, it's the theological game my mentor in the Brotherhood of St. Gregory likes to play, what if, What if the facility of Church of Our Savior were gone tomorrow? Heaven forbid, at the risk of invoking Peter from last week's Gospel, heaven forbid that a major earthquake should come or a canyon fire and wipe out this facility that has been so lovingly crafted and cared for generation after generation. Would there still be Church of Our Savior? For me as your rector, it's always a useful thought experiment because it helps me remember what really matters here. The answer to the question is, of course there would still be a Church of Our Savior as long as you were all That is the good news that Jesus has gone to proclaim to the people of Jerusalem and to all the people who are making pilgrimage so that they might buy the animals and make their sacrifice to be right with God. Jesus is telling his first followers and us so many centuries later to remember who we truly are. Each of us is a temple of God. This is something that will be realized in just a few short decades after Rome destroys the temple in Jerusalem. The rabbinical tradition will suddenly remember the indwelling of God amongst the people. And in fact, our Eucharistic practice has a close cognate in the rabbinical Jewish tradition if you've ever been to a Shabbat meal, you know the breaking of the bread and the sharing of wine. That is actually a reenactment of the temple sacrifice. And it is done to remind the people that God is dwelling among them. And so it is no accident that we who descend from that same era have a similar practice when we break bread and share a common cup together we are being reminded that we, each of us, and all of us together, are the temple of God. The scandal is that the chief priests don't get it. When Jesus talks about the destruction of the temple, 
they immediately think he's talking about bricks and mortar, about the shell of the institution, about something that they have sweat bullets over and shed many tears and poured up their hearts for. Generation after generation. Of course, it doesn't matter whether it's Church of Our Savior or Grace Cathedral or St. Peter's Basilica or Canterbury Cathedral or Notre Dame or Hagia Sophia. They all have one purpose only, and that is to remind us that we are in ourselves the dwelling place of God. Jews demand a sign. Greeks desire wisdom. This Sunday is a turning point in the Lenten season. It's where we go into what I like to call deep Lent, where we finally get down beneath the superficial aspects of our Lenten practices and into the deep places where we are being called to transformation by our beloved Christ. Sign, the sign that we are called to make, is an offering of ourselves to be a dwelling place for God. And the wisdom is to let go of all those things that make it difficult for us to open ourselves up in that way. How many of you think about yourself as a temple of God? I have to confess I hardly ever consider it. But today is a reminder. And the question remains, what would be different if you not only believed that, but actually began to practice it? This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for MillValley.org. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon.